0: From Birmingham, Alabama, you're listening to the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress. I'm your host, Gary Furr, and I'm so glad to have you with me today. Whether you're sitting in your favorite chair or riding along in the car, I'm glad we're going to get to spend this time together. Glad to have you with me today. Got a lot on my mind today. I'm worried about those people in California and all the flooding that's going on and the cyclone storms, they're calling them. And the airlines had to shut down yesterday for the first time nationwide since 9-11 and everybody got anxious. Turned out to be some kind of a glitch in the computer system. You know, those things that are supposed to make our lives easier. And then there were some poor souls down here in the south somewhere on an Amtrak train that had to sit for 36 hours. It took me back to the Christmas of 1973. The last week of the year, last year, my wife and I celebrated 49 years of marriage. I was thinking back that we got married during our sophomore year in college. Now, there is a reason why the word sophomore is sometimes used as a euphemism for stupidity. Now, nothing against all of the sophomores that are actually out there. I always thought of sophomoric having to do with the fact that I'd been to college just enough to think I knew everything but not long enough in school to realize I didn't know very much at all. But anyway, we decided uh, to get married our sophomore year. And we have told our children since then, there are two rules you must always obey. Number one, don't get married until you get out of college. It's just not a good idea. Number two, if you can't follow number one, Don't ever get married between semesters on Christmas break. Now, we violated both of these, and that's where the laws came up from. Uh, We learned the hard way. And what was crazy about it is that my wife was from Florence, South Carolina. And that's where the wedding would be, of course. And so I had to get home from college. Now, I had gone to college from Dayton, Ohio. But after graduation, my parents had moved to... Denver, Colorado, with my dad's job, so um, I had to get out to Denver, have Christmas with the family, and then load up my dad's Buick LeSabre. Well, there were six of us in my family, including my little sister, who just graduated kindergarten. So we had to get in his Buick LeSabre, big old car. It was the equivalent. Automotively of an aircraft carrier on wheels But even then With a big old car like that Six people and all their stuff for wedding It was really challenging But before that I had to fly home at Christmas You know And we could get in the car and go So After final exams I Went to the airport Had a ticket Mom and dad had gotten for me And I wasn't worried too much about it You know I had eight dollars in my pocket and I don't I don't know if I had you know windbreaker or or even if I had a coat on. I get to Chicago, get off the plane, I figure I'm gonna go through there quickly. I had about eight dollars in my pocket. So I get out and walk into the main area of O'Hare and all the signs overhead said see ticket agent and they're flashing. That's a that's a bad sign, by the way, when you're traveling. So I looked out the window and there's about two feet of snow and it's just coming down. It's you know in the twenties and came to find out it was one of the biggest blizzards in a long time. So the agent said all flights are canceled in and out of Chicago for tonight. We're going to give you a voucher for a meal for $15, and we're going to take you to a hotel. So I thought, well, yeah, this is good. I've got something going on here. So I called home, collect, because back then you didn't have cell phones, didn't have computers. It's hard to think about what my granddaughter now calls the olden times when she asks me questions. So I'm there and get on this bus with strangers. We shuttle to the airport, slipping and sliding. And, man, I've got this anxiety. I'm not going to be able to get to my wedding. Um, But, you know, we'll see. So spend the night there. Took my $15 voucher. There was only one thing on the menu at the hotel for under $15. It was a turkey sandwich for $9.95. I'll never forget that. Get up the next morning, shuttle back to the airport, freezing again. And uh, when we get there, I discovered something very troubling. Once you displace an entire plane load of people in their luggage, trying to work them in with all the other people that are flying that day is really difficult. So, several times that day, we would go down and wait for 30 minutes or an hour where they said, We're going to get you on this plane or that plane. And then they would say, well, we need all of you to come to over here. And they would say, we need you now to go down to gate 12. And we'd go to gate 12 for a while. And they'd say, we're going to put you on plane at gate 27. And we'd go to gate 27. So finally, they put us on this big plane, 747, I think it was. And we're going to fly you into Las Vegas and back to Denver behind the blizzard. So we got on the plane, and oh boy, we'd been talking to each other like, this is just a nightmare, and we finally got on this plane, and we sat down, and I'd been sitting next to this lady, and we'd been cutting up all day about what a nightmare it was, and I turned to her and I said, we're probably going to get kicked off this plane, you know. About two minutes later, the pilot comes on and said, will all the people going to Denver please get off the plane? There was a collective moan, and one guy yelled at the back, Hey, I'll just go to Las Vegas anyway. Nah, we had to get off. So after about 12 hours of this, they rolled out an old 707, got all the mothballs out. I don't think it had flown in years. Found a crew somewhere. Probably had to go to the pilot's retirement home and find them. But anyway, they, they came in, and we flew that old plane landed on a sheet of ice in Denver, Colorado. So the family had Christmas, and then we loaded up the car and drove about 30 hours total back through the blizzard from Denver, Colorado to Florence, South Carolina. Now here's the thing. I just had this anxiety. I had this desire to marry my wife, start our life, and I just wanted to get to her. And, you know, there are things in life that just are so important to us. If we can just get there. And then there's all this stuff that gets in the way. In the summer before that, I had worked out in Denver and, you know, we were having a real gas crisis. We were having to line up. Cars were lining up for blocks to get gas. They had gas shortages And gas shot up to 49 cents a gallon. I didn't think we would ever get back together because I I was worried she was in South Carolina. And I would go to my dad in a panic and have a meltdown. Dad, what are we going to do? And my dad always said one of his wise sayings. Dad grew up in the Depression. He used to joke that uh, one year for Christmas, he got a Chinese checkerboard. And the next year he got the marbles. Truly, it was a hard time. I mean, they had, I think, three or four of his five brothers went to World War II. His mother died during, I think, his junior year. You've been through all of this. You do what you got to do. And that's true of so many things in life. This past Sunday at our church, we had three young women come to uh, talk with us, and pretty good crowd gathered to hear. They were from Ukraine, the Ukrainian Baptist Seminary, and they talked to us about the things that had happened, and they had probably served, they said, about 10,000 people needing food and, and helping refugees uh, move on to Poland or... Uh, to uh, regroup. And after the initial phase of helping refugees, now they've begun to ask, how are we going on with our mission of training leadership for these churches? And said they decided to get going again, and uh, they thought maybe they were not going to have a lot of students, but they've had record enrollment Many of the churches in the East have lost their pastors. Some have been killed in the fighting. Some are serving in the military, and so they've had to go to the front. And so there's a big need in these churches. But also they said that there's this profound spiritual hunger, not just survival issues, but also how do we deal with our grief and our loss, the trauma of what we've been through, And the hunger for community and the hunger for belonging and the hunger for spiritual meaning. And so now they have record enrollment because people are saying, I want to help with that. I feel called. And suddenly churches that spend a lot of their time like churches do on how to survive and just circle up and keep our little operation going are opening up to everybody, to atheists, to Orthodox people, to none of the above, and just reaching out to them and in this crisis, doing what they can do. It's extraordinary. Sometimes the church has to get unmade before it can be made into what it needs to be again. A lot of years ago, I went back in 2000 to... Romania, And I was with a group that was helping a little congregation up near Mare, And we were building a little church building for them, a little chapel. We built it in about four days and met the people there. They were extraordinary. They were about 11 years out of communism and all the trauma that had happened under Ceaușescu. The first Sunday that we got there, after a lot of flight problems that we had, Including the only time that I've only been in a plane with a with an engine on fire, having to land back in New York, we were a day or two late, and finally got there. Got up in the morning and rode across the Romanian countryside to this little church with a maybe thirty-seven people there, and there we were. Sometime later, I was at a, a pastor's conference. I was speaking and also playing music for that conference, and. Uh, They were having a speaker that day who'd gone around studying all these fast-growing churches in the United States, and they were all young churches, new churches, innovative churches of what's happening now kind of things, you know, and um, typical consumerist religion in America. I'd been asked to do the devotional first, and so... I got up not really knowing what, what the day was going to be like or what was going to be said and kind of rained on the parade, which I have a bad tendency to do sometimes. But I told about going to Romania in that little church that had been there 137 years and there were only 27 people or 37 people sitting there. But I said, you know, I got to thinking they'd been through communism and before that the Nazis and tremendous suffering collapse of their economy, ethnic divisions. And I made this point. I said, I wonder if you took the American church or American culture and sifted it through the things they had been through. How many people would still be sitting there Sunday morning? Well, I got to my wedding It got to the beginning of a life that has been filled with good and wonderful blessings. My mother and father live nearby where I now help take care of them in retirement, in my retirement, and theirs. They're in their late 80s and have lots of challenges and difficulties, but I try to remember those good words. Son... People do what they've got to do. I hope I can pass that along to my children and grandchildren and yours with all the anxiety and all the stress and all of the things in our heads that seem hopeless and unmanageable. We will do what we've got to do. There was a minister down in Texas, I think, uh, Browning Ware, I think was his name, but he was asked by his daughter at the end of his life and career, How did you do so much? And he said to her, Well, I just always did the next thing, next. There is a relief in there if <laughs> you just do what you got to do. Whatever you have to do today, whatever gets in the way of what you wanted to do, it is good to be alive. It is good to be here. Just do the next thing next and trust. You'll get there eventually. Have a good one. Join me next time on the Flatpicking Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Gary Furr, and this is the Flatpicking Pilgrim's Progress. Thanks for joining me today. You can find my music at G-A-F-U-R-R, G-A-F-U-R-R dot com. And you can go to my blog site for lots of other information and writings at GaryFur.me. dot me. G-A-R-Y-F-U-R-R me. Once again, thank you so much. Join me next time on the Flat Making Pilgrim's Progress.